0: We'll
1: Welcome to the after party. We just did so much in that episode. We rolled initiative twice. We killed people. There's all kinds of new creatures coming after us. Let's not say we killed people. That's true. (laughs) I will fall on that sword.
2: You know who also fell on a sword? Geneva Geneva. when you stabbed him in the head
1: yeah I mean I mean I just hit him really hard but we'll get there let's go roughly chronologically this poor confused giant just breaks my heart we learned so much mythology oh my gosh what do you guys think Brandon and Fish of this episode
0: super interesting because every time I've encountered a giant before it's always been holy crap giant kill fast this is really bad everyone's gonna die and that was my mindset going in but apparently this guy is just like I just feel bad for this giant person they don't know what's happening, and they're very confused, and all they want to do is their job, and they can't do their job right now. And it's, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. I want to give it a big giant
1: hug. Oh. Huh. That encounter could have ended a lot worse than it did. I'm not going to question why the giant walked away, because I was just glad that he did.
0: Yeah.
2: Zubi is a really interesting character, and I think that this shows how different all the different types of giants are in D&D. Every race has like its own environment, and its own temperament and what it they need to do to survive you'd think that like every single type of giant was the one of the jack and the beanstalk who like is a giant doofus who can be manipulated by a human but that's not necessarily the case so it's like what does a stone giant need to live i guess and how does that relate to the medium sized creatures like a society that's kind of built itself around there
1: yeah, I am excited to learn more about them as time goes on. I am, though, nervous that we left Captain Alex behind. The idea of leaving anyone behind just seems anathema to me, and I'm a little bit nervous. I mean, she can take care of herself, especially in Panther form. I forgot that she could shapeshift, so that was dope. But I'm a little bit nervous about how that's going to go down.
0: She'll probably be fine. I mean, she's, pretty, she's on the older side, right? I oh, think, yeah. I think she's seen some
2: stuff. I think she could handle her own. Oh, yeah. Halflings can live to like 150. So she's a little bit older. Yeah, she's seen some stuff.
1: Someone else who's apparently seen some stuff. Johnny, your proficiency with ships astonishes me. So this was from our encounter last time with Captain
3: Alex. I was steering the ship for a while when she was a little incapacitated. Eric was like, sure, you're proficient with ships now because you did a good job, which I really appreciated. You
2: did a very good job, I got to say. You rolled very well and you made very good choices. So, like, this did not feel unearned. I feel like if you steer a ship through a storm you know how to steer a ship in general.
1: Yeah. So, Eric, did you know that this was going to come back up, that we would have a big boat chase maneuvering important scene? No, not at
2: all. I thought that when you were going to go over the speedboat things, you were just going to rustle around in there and then go back to the ship. I didn't think you were going to take one of the boats.
3: Yeah, I love these custom fun proficiencies and skills and profession stuff that really only comes in in the game. You can't prepare for it. Other systems, I know like Traveler, they have like a billion skills that you can start with. And, but then that kind of sucks because you're making decisions before you know the situation. It's a lot more fun to grow and earn that skill of arcane handshakes or of sea vehicle. and Tummy rubs, I think, is another one. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, I have proficiency in tummy rubs.
0: Can you use it on anyone who's not okay cake and would we enjoy it?
1: I mean, I think that's up to two adults to decide uh, between themselves.
2: <laughs> Brandon, you can't just go up to people and tummy rub them.
0: I disagree firmly.
2: But creatures, <laughs> dot, dot, dot.
1: I mean, I'll try to tummy rub the ghost whale. Oh, no. Please don't do that. Oh,
3: this seems like a good idea. Next time
1: I'll Join
2: the Party, uh, Anara, Anara dies. Ghost tummy rubs a ghost whale. <laughs> Anara dies because she touches a ghost monster.
1: Yeah, I'm not lying enough to touch that thing. Ooh, what a scary image, man. I'm a little bit creeped out still by that tableau we ended on.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, I think the ghost whale is really interesting. In fact, I pulled that from an episode. um, Have you heard of the podcast Spirits? Is it a drunken dive into myths and legends? It is a drunken dive into myths and legends. Huh. The hosts, Amanda and Julia, look at myths from a queer and feminist lens while drinking and having
1: fun. We do. (laughs) It's true. And we did a great episode on the Bakke Kujira, which is a Japanese ghost whale.
2: Yeah. So that's actually where I pulled a lot of my inspiration for the ghost whale. It's obviously not the same, but do you remember some of the stuff that you could tell people about?
1: Eric, I was drinking during the episode and I didn't edit it. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember Amy. a lot. don't remember a
2: lot. So I will tell you what you already told me and the research that I did.
1: See, we'll just pretend this is a pedagogical exercise where I have the student explain back to the teacher what it is that I taught you.
2: I feel like I'm just Julia now and you're just like, ah, yes, and you're going to make a joke
0: about poetry at some point. Do you want to take another take and just say, yes, I know everything, but you tell me, Eric? <laughs> no,
1: that's okay. I'm, I'm not too proud to own up to what I don't know.
2: So the Baki kujira is a Really interesting Japanese legend. There are these stories from Japan that are just like creepy tales or ghost tales. And this is one from ancient Japan that actually didn't get that much notoriety until the modern era. For some reason, people gravitated towards the story. So it's actually very similar to what we have in the legend. One rainy night, something massive and white appeared off the coast of one of the islands in Japan. Fishermen then got in their boats and swam out there and saw it was like a whale, but a whale they hadn't seen before. It was ghostly and the flesh was literally coming off the skeleton. Also, there were these like very strange birds and very strange fish that were swimming around with it and infecting the water. The fishermen took their spears, threw it at the whale, and nothing happened. It just passed right through. It was raining, so they couldn't really see that much, and then all of a sudden it disappeared, and they never saw it again. There's only one story and one instance, and it has literally existed until the modern day. It's really interesting, and just the one Japanese art of the Ghost whale is like really haunting. You got to imagine it's like something the size of a whale and just a massive skeleton. It's like looking at the plesiosaur in the Natural History Museum. Mm -hmm. But imagine that was just a skeleton and in the water. It's very scary. It's yeah. really cool. I love that.
1: I don't know if any of you have seen a beached whale or beached whale skeletons before, but, like, even that is scary. Like, even though you know it's inert and dead and on land, and it's still scary because the size is just so immense. And in myths, it's very rare for, like, one story by, like, some folks who weren't notable to see a thing that didn't fit into some preexisting format. People just don't have a weird occurrence, and then that becomes a myth that lasts for centuries. But in this case, it did, which is why it's so, like, neat and remarkable and substantiated by different witnesses, you know, and there really is something there. Do you think that was it? Do you think it was just a really –
0: not to, like, rain on the cool parade, but, like, is it a decaying whale that came up and it was rainy and hard to see and –
1: That's what I'm thinking, and I mean, especially because there were, you know, birds above and fish below, probably attacking or feasting from, you know, Mm. a creature that had died. Also gases, decomposition, like weird stuff happens in bodies after death. There can still be motion for reasons that are explainable. Especially Uh, bodies that
3: big. Especially
1: bodies that big. And there's blubber, like there's all kinds of weird stuff that happens in whale bodies, so I hear. And yeah, so that is what I think probably went down. Uh, Can you imagine
0: seeing that, though?
3: No. The only picture I ever have about a beach whale is just the Seinfeld episode where uh, oh. <laughs> the sea was angry that day my friends <laughs> like, like a man. man
2: like an old man sending soup back into the kitchen
3: The entire monologue he does where he then reveals the golf ball is one of my favorite moments from that show that was my least favorite Star Trek movie
1: is is Seinfeld just favorite. people lying is that just the show yeah, yeah. oh yeah. yeah Yeah. just lying in New York City yeah
0: yeah they're terrible
1: people. it's just New York City I
0: think it's New York City yeah everyone just lying all the
1: time I mean, that's my guess. I grew up outside of New York City, right near Rockaway Beach. And beach whales happen sometimes. And it's like an event for the summer. And it takes like many, many trucks and days and sometimes weeks to clean up. Wow. Um, and it's, it's just a thing. Long Island is a whaling town.
0: It's true. Crazy.
2: This episode has a first that we haven't seen before. We have Nara actually killing somebody. You got really close when the Red Throat Gang attacked the ceremony, but you really just did that intimidation, even though you got the total drop on someone using your shadow cowl, but this was actually your first kill and you got the assassinate bonus. Mm -hmm. Amanda, how do you feel about that and how do you think is dealing
0: with it? Did you do that intentionally as well? Was that an intentional kill? Because you used the butt of your dagger, so I'm curious.
1: Yeah. My intention was to incapacitate the threat. And I think that's how, in our views, Assassins is like one, a kind of cool club that she wants to belong to with the thieves can't and the marbles and the calling cards and the notes with the daggers. Like it's all kind of intrigue, the way a kid kind of idolizes the mob or, you know, watches a crime show and like thinks that it's cool. And so I think all of this has been somewhat theoretical to her or hypothetical to her until now. But She's there to defend Alonzo to do a job to make sure that she and Oatcake and her companions don't capsize here in the middle of the ocean with the ghost whale coming up behind us. But if he had just crumpled down to the bottom of the boat and was knocked unconscious, that probably would have been smarter because we could interrogate him or bring him to the representative as evidence of this plot happening. But, you know, I don't think she's going to lose any sleep over it because it made sense per the obligations that she signed up for.
3: Yeah, I was fully prepared to interrupt what was happening, pull alongside, ask someone else on my boat to grab the engine to steer, jump over, and cast Spare the Dying to keep him, like, knocked out, but not dead so that we can interrogate him.
1: But, like, listen, he was trying to kill Tom. Tom would have died if not for Tracy's Inspector Gadget moves. So it's not like I brought a gun to a knife fight. Like, this was a battle of life and death from the get-go.
0: And to be frank, I think... uh, Hi, Frank.
1: uh, Hi, Frank, I'm Dad.
0: I think throwing some chum into the water might have helped us in our escape a little bit.
1: Yeah, maybe so.
2: Who can say? Who can say? You actually brought a knife to a knife fight.
1: I did. I brought an assassin knife to a normal person knife fight. Exactly. (laughs) We also met a bunch of new NPCs this episode, just immediately, they're all just so vibrant in my head right away. I don't know about you guys, but there are lots of people to keep track of, lots of boats, lots of mixing of. There's a fox and a hare and four people in a rowboat across the river. Like there's all kinds of like <laughs> you know mysteries happening. But was there any particular inspiration behind these NPCs?
0: Just piggyback off that. How do you create them? Like I'm a person who's really bad with names, and I can never remember names in general. But the NPCs are so real in my head that I. Even though if I can't remember their name, I still know who they are and how their action and how they're feeling. So is there like a way that you go about creating them as well?
2: First of all, I like to thank our patrons for giving me a wonderful well of names to pull from. We've been able to use like first names and last names and combinations of the two just to like make them sound fun and fantasy. But even like regular people like Evan, so like Evan Downey, one of our patrons, he can just like have the name of Evan and I feel good about that. I want to say, though, that the three people who you were riding with in the boats, so Tom Bourne, Callie, and Geneva, I wanted to give them different names because I wanted to keep it ambiguous about whether they were a good guy or a bad guy.
1: We're not going to like assign a patron name to an obviously evil person, unless I guess the patron wanted that.
2: Or like I guess even as someone who might be in danger, someone could have died and someone did, but like that danger was always there. I didn't know necessarily what was going to happen, but then you're like punching this dude Really hard with a dagger.
1: Listen, guys, I'm I'm an assassin. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the other thing, it's like in Law and Order SVU when a special guest shows up and you see them come on screen. He's like, "Is that Dean Kane? What's <laughs> Dean Kane doing?" And then he's like, "Oh, Dean Kane's obviously the murderer." So I didn't want to like tip my hand to either the players or the listeners about that. There's a thing in the DMG and the Dungeon Master's Guide about building NPCs, just a place to start with, and the idea there is pick a strange quality or a quirk and then kind of work backwards. With audio, it's actually really important to do that so I can translate the voice there. And also, I don't necessarily want to assign, like, gender or race to specific places because I think the, like, stereotype is boring. And I think that the less that you know or expect from people is where I want to walk from. So, for example... I didn't necessarily want to give away the fact that Geneva was going to do something, but like he's just like big and angry. I think it was more important to me that I knew that he had one brown eye and one blue eye than what is this guy going to do next.
0: Yeah, I think it makes it more vivid in my head. When an event happens and like this big bulky guy throws another guy off of a boat, it makes it so much more real and tangible. If it's not just some big bulky eye, it's that guy with the brown and the blue eye. It's a more real more image-focused narrative. And I think that's true, especially with like Evan's speech patterns. Oh, that's
2: right. Man, I've just only been thinking about the three people in the boats because I was controlling four people at the same time during the scene. I love that you And
3: Alonzo, which- Oh, there's fucking (laughs) Alonzo. (laughs) (laughs) And Alex,
2: the ghost. Alonzo, I'm so sorry that I left you in so many places. There's so many people running around. My favorite part is when you had to do conversation with yourself for a bit. (laughs) Oh, it always happens. Yeah, so I want to think about Evan's speech pattern. In my head, he is very talented, but he just has terrible word recall. So it makes people think he's stupid. And I think the three of you all think he's stupid. And definitely the people around him did as well. So that's just what I've been working with. And I think that it translates really well. He has a strange speech pattern. He has a tick... He only responds or, like, has a particular disposition. It makes it easier to improv like this. I mean, I did the same thing for Speaker Martinson, and all of you guys picked up right on it. How she says, as it were, all the time. hmm
1: <laughs> And I think that speech pattern also gives Evan something that he wants to rail against and prove himself. You know, like I can start to kind of ascribe character motivations to him, whether they're canonically true or just headcanon for me and the character. The more kinds of quirks you have, like the more places there are, the more footholds there are for your imagination to step in there and start like fleshing out full lives behind the characters that could otherwise just be like, oh, a dwarf, an orc and tiefling are in the boat with you. But it surprised me that Evan wasn't the boss because it was just someone that we had been talking to he came with us he told the other three to wait somewhere i just assumed i don't know i guess i didn't question it and so that interaction with the tiefling on the boat surprised me in a really interesting way i like being surprised when we play
0: yeah that's a strategy you can use for character creation as well it's something i actually did with tracy i had read the dungeon master's guide because i was doing dm work at the time but i figured what's something interesting that i could do with tracy and the fact that he has these sigils up and down his skin is like a really powerful image is that a thing about Warforged? Like, did you read that or you just came up with that? It's just something I came up with. I figured, like, if you have a hunk of wood or, like, a bathroom stall sitting somewhere for a long time, what do people do? They draw on it. So that was where that came from. That reminds me exactly of Johnny.
2: Like, you're taking Warlock and turning it on its head. Yeah. By I being mean, the, everything we've talked about, like, positive stuff.
3: You need to be making these kind of quirks with npcs with pcs with everyone because otherwise it's not fun playing as a very generic character with johnny specifically i rolled that he's afraid of the dark but i turned it into something else and there's all these tables in the dmg but also the player's guide and if you don't have those you have all these tables that are fan made but also official ones that wizards of the coast or pathfinder and all these guys have released normally when i have players I tell them to roll on, I'll give them a quirk list of about a hundred, ask them to roll five times, pick one or two. One, if they're going to stick to like basically as it's written, two, if they want to like mesh it around or play with. And it's not always a mandatory thing, but it's like Eric said, that's how you remember them. And it's not just physical quirks. It can also be how they think. It could be something that never shows up except for that one pivotal moment, three sessions in, one player's like, I hate bananas, I can't deal with bananas, and they like go nuts because there's bananas and everyone's freaking out, like, what is happening? Like, that's the memorable part.
0: Mm. Do you guys remember when we found out that Fish really hates bananas? In real life, it was. I really don't weird. like
3: bananas. Yeah. Like I really. Really, don't. I didn't know that. Yeah, I can handle banana bread, but only if there's like an, a lot of <laughs> other stuff, and the banana is like a muted. Yeah. I don't like this banana taste. Maybe I would like it if it was like the old banana taste. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like how runs bananas or like old style candies taste different than how bananas taste now
1: is a thing. I'm not with you, it, dude. I'm sorry. Banana, I'm, I'm with so you. So yeah.
0: this is a banana talk.
1: Banana <laughs>
2: time <laughs> with
0: JGP. Banana time. I want to make some banana bread now.
1: Thank you so much for joining us for this after party. As always, we would love to continue the conversation with you tweeting at jointhepartypod, same on Facebook and Instagram, where you can see our actual faces and the drinks we drink during recording and our dice and uh, dank memes and all kinds of great things. Michael is also doing a great job on our Tumblr, which is jointhepartypod.tumblr.com. There are asks, there's fan art, there's hilarious D&D stuff. There's really heartfelt, beautiful posts from people about what gaming means to them. It's like my favorite thing to check every day just like a little slice of sunshine on the internet which is hard to come by these days and also thank you again to lauren Bolanco and 20-sided store for sponsoring our episode yesterday we are really excited to be working with them going forward and you can find them at 20 the word 20sidedstore.com and if you're in new york give them a visit they're in williamsburg brooklyn and it is a lovely lovely place to go as always you can find transcripts and merch and ways to contact us at jointhepartypod.com you can email us etc cetera, etc cetera. you know the drill. We love having you here and thank you so much for joining us. We will see you soon.